Praise God, you guys. He is so good. Uh, I'll have a New Year's message uh, this coming uh, Sunday, a couple days, I guess that would be before a New Year's. Uh, today, at the end of the year, uh, I want to preach and share with you on, you know, a subject matter that I think is very, very important. In fact, if you're in, if you're in uh, the Middle East, you probably would have a lot of messages about Islam and Mohammedism because there's so many, not just thousands, not just millions, hundreds of millions of people that have been converted to Islam and have followed the claims of, well, of Muhammad, who claimed that an angel came to him, Gabriel, and, and revealed the true gospel to him and that the Bible was correct, but it got, you know, kind of, you know, uh, twisted and everything and, and things were taken out supposedly and he was, being, he was restoring the truth to the world. And many professing Christians committed apostasy Sometimes under great duress, under great per persecution, sometimes under uh, just persuasion and what have you. Uh, over here, we don't have as much of a problem, although it's also a problem here in the West, but it's not like you have uh, Muslims knocking on your door. Uh, but you do have another group knocking on your door, a uh, very powerful group uh, called Mormons. And they're all over the place. And I give this message, I love Mormons, okay? I've witnessed to Mormons through the years. Uh, they used to come to my door. I think I used to have JWs and Mormons come to my door all the time. Uh, now I haven't seen them for years and years and years. I think I just got blackballed, you know. So now sometimes I have to kind of seek them out, you know. Uh, but it's interesting. As I was giving the title of this message to uh, Jonathan back there, we, uh, since everything, we're not going to really have CDs anymore so much because uh, we have everything's now accessed through the Internet. If you're, that's the only way you can get it, let us know. But James, Jim said everybody's getting it through uh, the net now and so forth. And, uh, but if you, you still have, have need access in some way, let us know. We don't want to leave anyone out. But uh, So I give the title to Jonathan. And as I was giving the title to Jonathan how to you know, share the, the true gospel with Mormons, Brian got a big smile on his face. He said, they just came to my house right before I came here. You know? And Brian likes to witness to Mormons. So it's interesting. They just showed up at his house. He goes, this is going to be good. And I see Big Jim walking in. Not... Uh, Big Jim that just shared the scripture with us, but uh, big Jim Sanford back there. And Jim, if I remember right, it was your great-grandfather maybe was a bodyguard for Brigham Young? Oh, oh, your great-great-grandfather, a, yeah, you're not that old, right? Your great-great-grandfather, because we're talking about the 1800s, if you're going way back to Joseph Smith, the first Mormon prophet, uh, his great-great-grandfather was a bodyguard uh, for him, and he is about Jim's size. Jim's size back then, Jim's huge right now. Back then would be pretty huge. And thankfully, Jim found the true Jesus. Uh, but we, we, you know, guess what? We have ex-Mormons in the fellowship. And uh, I've been, had the privilege of leading people away from Mormonism to Christ and so forth. We showed Godmakers 2 here years ago. And uh, some Mormons showed up, including a couple of their lawyer apologists. Uh, and I had some little bit of battle with them in the word in front of everybody. Uh, and uh, one gentleman who was going to Cal Lutheran University, I think it was Cal Lutheran College then, uh, he was leaving a little bit early and I caught him because I could see he was rattled. And we ended up sitting together and getting together uh, over a period of time and was able to share the gospel with him. And he just, you know, left Mormonism and realized who the, Jesus, who the true Jesus is. And that's what it's about. We want to reach people for Christ because if our convictions are true and we believe they are, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and life, 
You don't come to the Father but by him. And that you have to have the true Jesus, the biblical Jesus to be saved. Uh, it's of great importance to us that, that we love Mormons. We reach out to them and recognize that that could be us. Amen? So every once in a while I do uh, uh, messages to where you can reach the people that are around you. We talk about witnessing a lot, but sometimes we get more specific. And this is how to reach Mormons. And, and there's various ways, various tactics people could take. I learned really quickly uh, some things because as a new Christian, I had Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses. I, I embraced Christ. I didn't know any Christians. I embraced grace, Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, came out of the occult, realized Satan and the demonic world were really very real. Therefore, I realized, wait, man, what I've been dabbling is opening me up to these demonic evil forces. And I knew, because they were all anti-Christ, these forces I was in touch with, I knew who was the real one, who was the genuine article. His name is Jesus, and he's a Jesus of Nazareth. He's a G historical Jesus of the biblical uh, testimony uh, from Genesis to Revelation. And when I came to Christ, the first ones come knocking my door were Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons. So I was meeting with them every week or two just kind of like shuffling them. And but at the same time, I'd already been in the Word before they started knocking. And I'd been, you know, the FBI is when they teach bank tellers or I should say bankers uh, or those who deal in the counterfeit division how to detect a counterfeit. They don't get them incredibly acquainted with the counterfeit. It, they let them know what the counterfeits are doing and what they look like to a degree. But they get them especially acquainted with the original article. And I've given examples of that that are more elaborate, watermarked, all these different things that they're to look for when they look at a genuine $100 bill in the light. They'll see all these things. And if they're distorted or not there, they know it's counterfeit. Well, that's why we need to be in the word, amen? The Bible says, test everything, hold fast that which is good. The Bible says, if they speak not according to the word, it's because there's no light in them. The Bible says, it warns us, amen, uh, not to go beyond what is written, Amen. And to test the spirits to see whether they're from God. Many, many scriptures uh, warn us about testing things. And uh, we need to test things in light of scripture. So it's important that we are like the FBI in the sense that FBI, not the Federal Bureau of Investigation, but the full of biblical intelligence, amen? Full of God's word, amen? To where we can discern the difference between truth and the difference between error. And the Bible warns about the spirit of truth versus the spirit of error. And... In witnessing the Mormons, it didn't take long as I was a Christian, uh, especially because I was trying to reach my uh, girlfriend as a new Christian, and she claimed that she was, gonna, she was following Christ, but she was going back to her roots. We were in a new relationship, and she was identifying with Mormonism, and I was a brand new Christian, and I had the Mormons in my house and so forth. Uh, and I went to the Deseret Bookstore in the San Fernando Valley and bought 25, 26 volumes of what's called Journal of Discourses. And that's 20-some volumes long. I still have it. And I dog-eared and underscored scores, hundreds maybe, of pages going through much of it, seeing what Brigham Young had taught and their prophets had taught. And at the beginning of the Journal of Discourses, it says that uh, when these, th these, were, you know, these messages were published, you know, they were as good as scripture as was couched in the Bible, you know? And actually, the Mormons look askance at the Bible because the Bible actually exposes them for what they are, but they don't want to acknowledge that authority of the Bible because it actually exposes them, so they diminish its, its authority by saying, well, it's only accurate when it's interpreted in such a way or the scriptures support Mormonism. If it doesn't support Mormonism, that must be some kind of mistake some kind of bad translation or something that take, got taken out of the scripture or what have you. So uh, we showed God makers too here, as I mentioned one time. And one thing I noticed is when you use the Mormon's own material, 
they have a really hard time with that. See, I don't have a hard time. If somebody goes back and says anything, hey, Joe, listen to what Joe's taught. Well, unless it's something I taught that was wrong, which by the grace of God, I don't know of anything, but you know, I'm sure I've mentioned a fact or something from a story or something that's been wrong here or there. But doctrinally, I don't have to worry about anything. I don't have to worry about false prophecies because I don't make prophecies, you know? And if I feel like I've had an insight, I'm very careful in how, how to share that. Uh, but in Mormonism, there was a, a gal who, this happened a couple different times, who was on the verge of converting to Mormonism. I went to the house where she was renting, uh, a, a room, and I sat with her, and I sat with Mormon missionaries, and a Mormon bishop would come down from Moore Park, and as I was sharing, and we're going back and forth, I had these bags of these journal of discourses, and I'd whip them out to show what they taught historically. At their own bookstore, I bought these, right? Uh, over and over, and the bishop would be like, you can't use those. You can't use those. Only use the Book of Mormon, which I was fine to do, but I would try to go back to them and stop me again. But, you know, I went back to the Book of Mormon, Journal of Discourses, was off limits to him, and went to Doctrine and Covenants and so forth, and another one of their so-called sacred books. And, at the, and I didn't know if she was seeing what was going on. But at the end of it, she goes, why would I follow Mormonism? And she's renting from Mormons. Why would I follow Mormonism when every time he tries to show me what you've taught in the past, you get all upset and don't want him to share it? She saw through it. I was like, praise God, you know. And I was in Thousand Oaks uh, uh, sharing with some uh, folks who were being, Mormons were trying to convert them. And when I whipped out journal discourse, this time I just brought it out anyway. And when they tried to protest, I still quoted from their journal discourses. And sometimes the Mormons come off as very squeaky clean, but one of them got so upset, he went to the door. It was a hot day in the summer and there was just a screen door there and he kicked it just bam open and went marching down the cul-de-sac the other way. And a guy that I was with, Richard Heaton, who was with me, uh, was also a believer. He went down chasing him. Young man, come back here. You can't do that, you know? And it's like, the truth hurts. And uh, Mormonism has this really incredible facade. In fact, what you look at today, which is considered Mormonism, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, as it's called, is it's just a face of, uh, it's not even true Mormonism. Because in true Mormonism, you can have a bunch of wives, which after the civil rights thing really got going, it looked really bad to be saying that black people were cursed, guess what? Oh, we got a new revelation from God that we're not to, supposed to say blacks can't come into the priesthood anymore, you know? Oh, wow, new revelation. And it was pretty crazy. I mean, Joseph Smith was basically declaring war in the United States at one point, you know? And uh, a lot of people were being killed, uh, being taught to be killed if they to atone for their own sins because the blood of Christ couldn't atone for everybody's sins. Different gospel, right? And so they had blood atonement. That was part of their doctrines. Brigham Young, their second most important prophet, uh, has taught for, had taught uh, that Adam is God. and He's the only God with whom we have to do. And when Adam came from heaven with one of his wives he brought with him, he's the only God. And if you don't believe this doctrine, this is on page 50 and 51. I have a lot of this memorized still, you know, uh, from the Journal of Discourses. I didn't bother to get it. It's in my, stuck away in my garage. But 50 and 51, he says, if you don't accept this, that Jesus was not begotten by the Holy Ghost, which Matthew 3 says he was begotten in the King James by the Holy Ghost. He goes, if you don't believe that, if you believe he was, you don't accept this Adam-God doctrine, he says it will prove your damnation. He'd warn them. They'd be damned if they didn't believe this new Mormon, Mormon doctrine. Well, Mormons don't teach a lot of these things now because they basically assimilated into what's effective, but they still teach false doctrines that are contrary to the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And that just radically breaks my heart because there's a lot of Mormons out there that have a zeal for spirituality, and they think they're serving the, the true God, but they've been led astray. 
And my heart, my prayer is, Father, in Jesus' name, open their hearts to the true gospel, to the true Jesus. Help them to love truth above error. So one of the things I found out when witnessing Mormons is a lot of times you could give them the truth just straight up. Just straight up where it is like, no, the sky isn't, you know, green with pink polka dots. It's blue. Look. And you could show them, wow, the blue sky. And it wouldn't phase them. I realized, what in the world is going on? You show them the straight truth, they can't even controvert it. There's no answers for what I'm showing them. And a lot of times they wouldn't even be moved. And I'm a lover of truth, man. You know? You tell me that so-and-so that you know very well is a serial killer, I'm not going to want to believe you, but if you show me evidence, I'm not going to deny it. Because I want truth. You know? So, and God's a God of truth. And Jesus says, he that truly, you know, he that wills to do the will of the Father will know the doctrine, they'll know the truth. And so it's interesting, when I realized what was going on. And this is something a lot of people don't really consider when they're witnessing the Mormons, but I think it's very important for me to mention this so you deal with this dynamic. Mormons believe that pretty much everybody is saved. They believe that there's very few people, like Judas and a few others, that will actually go to hell, sons of perdition. So they believe that everybody's either going to the celestial kingdom, which is the highest heaven for them, or the celestial kingdom, I know, it's like, what's that, <laughs> you know, which is the second kingdom below the celestial kingdom, or the terrestrial kingdom, which is earth. And even those people that don't accept Mormonism now will be one of those lower two kingdoms, or the lowest kingdom, but very few people will be sons of perdition. So they have a mindset that even if they're not good Mormons, they still can have eternal life, even if they're living lives that are in somewhat rebellion to God. You have to be just this total apostate to be, you know, like a Judas or something. And I realized Mormons have a lot of pressure in two different, they have a lot of pressure in one direction and no pressure in the other direction, hardly. One pressure is the fact that Mormonism is like a culture, okay? They're incubated in Mormonism, inculcated in Mormonism, and they grow up and everything is Mormon, you know? And they, you know, they, they go to their stakes. It's very strong family orientated, a lot of family orientation, a lot of activity centered, centered around Mormonism, and it's very controlling in many ways. And uh, you get more, you, to get to the celestial kingdom, you have to be married in the Mormon temple. You have to get a temple recommend, so you have to tithe for a year before you can get the temple recommend. And all your really good friends are Mormon. So to leave Mormonism is a big deal. And we see that similar phenomenon when it says that many in the Gospel of John believed in Jesus. They saw his miracles. They, they knew he was the Messiah. It says many believed in him. It says, but they did not follow him because they did not want to be kicked out of the synagogues. And they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. So Judaism had an incredibly strong fa family, uh, cultural, religious fabric. And Mormonism has a similar deal going on. So it's very hard for Mormons to leave Mormonism even if they see the truth. Now, that's a shame on Mormons who see the truth and don't leave Mormonism because it was not a good thing. Jesus is the one that said they love the, the praise of men more than the praise of God. That's a shameful thing. That's, put, that's idolatry, to put something before God. And it's not worth eternal life. But this is the deal. This is the rub. There's pressure to stay. But guess what? If Mormonism's wrong in some way, well, guess what? They've been taught that everybody ends up, see a form of universalism, going to heaven in some way or having life in some way. Maybe not the celestial kingdom, but the celestial kingdom, if not the celestial kingdom, the terrestrial kingdom. See what I'm saying? 
So there's all of a sudden it's like, wait, it's not that big of a deal if they're wrong because they have not been taught the truth about hell. So this is what I'm saying. When you're witnessing the Mormons, you have to let them know that the stakes are far higher than they realize. Are you with me? And that simply by, is by letting them know, hey, I know you've been taught. And it's very easy to prove from Scripture. I know you've been taught that most everybody, you know, has eternal life in some way. But that's not what Jesus taught. And if you're wrong about Mormonism, Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Enter the narrow gate. For broad is the way. And space is the way it leads to destruction. And what? Many go that way. But narrow is the gate, and straight is the way that leads to life, and what? Few are them that find it. So Jesus contrasted this, the broad gate, which many are on, that leads to destruction, with the narrow gate, the straight way that leads to life, which few people are on. So it's not like many have life in the end, and few go to destruction, right? It's the opposite. Few go to life. Jesus is the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to follow but through him. Amen? Amen. And Jesus says, strive and that's the scripture I quoted earlier is in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. But Jesus said also in Luke chapter 12, you know, strive to enter the narrow gate. Because he said few would be saved there as well. Now, so I think it's important for you to let the Mormon know that you're talking to, that the stakes are really high, and that their eternal life is on the line. Their eternal immortality is on the line. So they pay attention to what you're saying. And not drive away like, wow, that kind of rattled where I'm at. But hey, guess what? You know, I'll get in anyway, you know, because we're taught that God's good and everybody's going to pretty much make it for the most part. And no, they need to drive away saying, whoa, man, that person said that Jesus said that there would be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And there's a lake of fire and there's no rest day and night forever and ever. Amen. And there's outer darkness and the worm doesn't die and the thirst is never quenched. And, and whoo, man, you got to shake them up to get them to count the cost. So that's one tip I'm giving you on witnessing the Mormons. Let them know the stakes are incredibly high. And also recognize their ploy is different than it was when I was young. When I was young, the Mormon would knock on your door and they'd get, go through a presentation with pictures of Joseph Smith, you know, praying for wisdom and then God coming to him or you know, the angels appearing to him repeatedly, uh, the angel Moroni and so forth, and revealing the truth to him supposedly. And then what happened is Joseph was praying about what church to join, you know? And then the, the, he's told not to join any of them because all the churches are corrupt and all their creeds are an abomination. And he was tapped to find golden plates that aren't around. Of course, they're not. And he used these seer stones because he was a treasure hunter before this, you see. I mean, he was a known treasure hunter you know, with mystical, and, and he supposedly had things at the bottom of his hat, you know, these, these seer stones that were translucent rocks that he could read these Egyptian hieroglyphics and, and, and translate, you know, new scripture, right? The Book of Mormon and so forth. So uh, when this went down, many Mormons won't test this because they said, I prayed about it. That's what the Mormons will often say. You've heard that, right? They'll ask you, pray about it, see if this is true. You know, when they've said that to me, I go, I don't need to pray about it. What do you mean? I go, I love to pray, but I don't need to pray. Uh, like, for instance, if somebody said, hey, you know what? That girl's really cute over there. And, you know, why don't you commit, pray about committing adultery with her? Do I need to pray about that, guys? 
No, I don't need to pray about committing adultery on my wife because I know I'm not supposed to commit adultery and I'm not going to commit adultery on her by the grace of God, amen? Because I already know the scriptures say not to commit adultery. Well, when I look at Mormonism, I see what the Bible says about Mormonism and I know it's a false satanic system. It's cultic, it's anti-God, it's anti-the Bible, it's anti-the true Jesus, as you'll clearly see in this presentation. I know 100% absolutely not to pray about, Lord, you know, I know this system, you know, was, this guy's a false prophet and everything, and, but, you know, can I accept it? Because guess what? The Bible warns about receiving a different spirit. There's demon spirits that will testify to the reality of falsehood. It's called the spirit of error. So we're called to test them. Amen? So we need to test everything and hold fast that which is good. But that original ploy the Mormons used for so many years was to give you and say, hey, look, Joseph Smith was praying about what choice, to, what church to join, and God said, don't join them. They're all corrupt, and, and all the creeds are abomination. So, but, and then he prayed. He got, now, if you pray, God will show you that we're the true church. Well, guess what? They don't do that anymore. Nuh-uh. Now they, I mean, they'll get around to that maybe eventually, but now they want to present themselves as another Christian denomination. You know, it's very ecumenical. Kind of like we're separated brethren. Now they'll come to your door and it's like just, hey, because guess what happened? After the internet blew up, a lot of their doctrines were exposed and all of a sudden they couldn't bet on people being ignorant to their history. The false prophecy of Joseph Smith, blood atonement, multiple wives, all this stuff. A lot of people weren't ignorant anymore. So therefore it was like, wait, you don't want to joust with these Christians now. Too many of them are FBI agents full of biblical intelligence. So now what we need to do is just, we're another denomination. You know, the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. And, and now you have, you know, uh, The Chosen, you know that TV show? Very popular. But sadly, the guy, you know, I want to, well, I'm trying to remember that guy's name, Dallas, uh, Dallas Jenkins, uh, yeah, son of Jerry Jenkins who co-wrote the Left Behind series. Uh, he's working with Mormons to do this whole thing. And he says that that's, you know, a hill he's willing to die on is fight for the fact that they're also Christians. So guess what? It's been, effective, it's been an effective deal, you know? So a lot of, mil not millions, I don't know how many, but a bunch of Christians have given to that not, before they even realize that they're actually working with the Mormon church. Of course, they're not gonna offend Mormonism are they? Yep, my mic went out. I'm sorry. Uh, so they're not going to offend, offend Mormons in that, so you're going to have a compromise. So all these things are very, very uh, serious. Now, one thing I think of right away when I think of Mormonism is all the Bible verses, and there's, ten of, there's tons of them, at least eight or ten, that warn about not adding or not taking away to the Bible. And I just mentioned a few. Deuteronomy 4.2. You shall not add to the word that I command you or take from it that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. Proverbs chapter 30, verses five and six. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. Revelation 22, 18 and 19. I warn everyone who hears the words of this prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And anyone who takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which is described in this book. Now, it's interesting uh, when we show the movie The Godmakers, and we advertise it. That's how Mormons had showed up, because we want to reach Mormons. Uh, we showed it in our church years ago. I was a, I was a young pastor, and uh, when we showed that, uh, two attorneys, I found out later they were both lawyers, Mormon lawyers, they got up and talked together, and, and then when I mentioned at the end of the film, because we had a... a 
ex-Mormon there named Chuck Sackett that showed the film and then he talked a little bit, but he looked worn out. I was talking to the, the guy in the back who ended up coming to Christ, you know, and I came in and Chuck was sitting down and they just kind of took over after the movie. I'm like, what in the world happened here? So I came up in the front and because they were just trying to explain Mormonism, I'm like, this was not supposed to happen this way. Shouldn't have stepped out, you know, but I had leaders there, but I don't know what happened. And then I was like, and they go, and I, and I mentioned scriptures. I kind of set them up. I mentioned that the book of Revelation says you're not to add or take away to this book. And I knew exactly what they're going to say because they're lawyers, which I didn't know at the time, but they, I could tell they were good, pretty good apologists for Mormonism. One guy goes, well, you know what? That scripture you're quoting in Revelation, not to add or take away, it says for the book of this prophecy, the book of Revelation it's talking about, not to add or take away the book of Revelation. I go, so if I add or took away the book of Revelation, then I would be a false prophet. Exactly. I go, Exactly because they have Joseph Smith's translation of the Bible, and he adds and he takes away to the book of Revelation. Okay, that's one of the books I got, you know. Checkmate, okay. Now, uh, so it's interesting, but they add, but it's not just the book of Revelation that states this. It's many places. You're not supposed to add or take away to God's word, period, amen? And certainly the book of Revelation has an application to anything God's written you shouldn't take away or add to uh, as well. But Joseph Smith had a habit of adding and taking away to the Bible. In fact, here's an interesting passage. Go to Genesis chapter 50, the last chapter of the first book of the Bible. Genesis chapter 50. Please go to Genesis chapter 50. Now, we're gone way back, right? Some written 3,500 years ago about. Genesis chapter 50. Okay, pick it up at verse 30. Go ahead and pick it up at verse 30. Are you there? Wait, you have no verse 30? Well, that's because you don't have the Joseph Smith translation. Because Joseph Smith added a prophecy. And he added a prophecy about himself. He retroactively put, wrote himself into the Bible. It says, actually, you know, almost 3,500 years ago, there's a prophecy all about me. See, the Christians would say, you are a false prophet, man. The Bible warns about guys like you. He goes, no, well, actually, it talks about me in the Bible. In Genesis 50, well, if they didn't have their Bibles with them, he could just say, well, it says that. And by the way, in Genesis 50, verse 30, in the Joseph Smith translation, it says, and again, a seer will I raise up out of the fruit of thy loins. Verse, and it says a little more. And then verse 33 says, and that seer I will bless, right? And it says, and his name shall be called Joseph. <laughs> and it shall be after the name of his father. His father's name was also Joseph. So he snuck that in there. And it's interesting he has this, this, this prophecy say that that prophet, uh, well, uh, I will give power to bring forth my word, if verse 30 says, and the seed and so forth, and uh, uh, the convincing them of my word, which shall uh, have already gone forth among them in the last days. That sir will I bless, and they will seek to destroy him. Listen to this. And they will seek to destroy him, and he shall be, conf and, and, uh, shall be confounded. In other words, people are going to try to destroy him, but they're not going to be able to do it. He's going to be confounded. And what's interesting, he retroactively puts in a prophecy about himself, writes himself into the Bible, and then it even becomes a false prophecy because it says he won't be destroyed. They'll try to destroy him, but they'll be confounded. Well, what's crazy is Joseph Smith was actually arrested. Well, he got in this battle, Mormons against Mormons, and there were Mormons that were against a polygamy, and he was for polygamy. And he ordered his followers to destroy the newspaper business and destroy the printing press that they were using. And he was arrested 
Somebody gave him a gun when he was in, in, in jail, and a mob uh, came, and they had a little shootout, and he was killed. He was confounded. He was destroyed. And by the way, he never finished the Joseph Smith's translation of the Bible. Became a false, this became a false prophet in itself. Isn't that crazy? The irony of the whole thing. You know, can you imagine, you know, you know, uh, Mark Hess right here, Mark's a great guy, but Mark said, man, you guys didn't know this, but I'm a prophet. It's written about me in the book of Exodus at the last chapter. Okay, let's go there. Well, you guys don't have the verse there because it was taken out. You know, there's not one manuscript. Of course, Jews, Jews will laugh at this, you know. <laughs> Wait a minute, you're saying uh, Moses prophesied about Joseph Smith, you know. Uh, and they would really have a hard time with that because, you know, Mormonism claims to be the true Israel now. You go to Utah and they name everything after a lot of the Israeli cities and, you know, names and so forth, Zion and stuff, just all these false prophecies. So it's interesting uh, when, you, when you look at what they're, they're doing, there's no manuscripts that have these extra verses in it. It's, it's all made up. Why would the Jews take it out? They didn't have any beef with Mormonism. You know, it's just utterly ridiculous. It's not in the Jewish Bible. It's not in the, the Christian Bible. Uh, now, it's interesting as well because when you look at this, and I've used various ways, sometimes what I'll do is I'll go to Mosiah, not Isaiah, but Mosiah 14. It's in the Book of Mormon. And then when you go to Mosiah 14 and you open Isaiah 53, you know Isaiah 53, right? Great passage, right? Guess what Mosiah 14 is? It's basically like a carbon copy pretty much of Isaiah 53, word for word from the King James, showing you that it was lifted right from the King James, not from magical golden plates. You know how you could prove that? It's not only thee and thou and all the King James language. By the way, Mormons, when they come to your door, they'll use the King James Bible because they want to have an air of authenticity that, hey, we use the Protestant Bible, one of the Protestant Bibles. Why don't you ask them, hey, why don't you use Joseph Smith's translation? Isn't that kind of peculiar? Why don't you use the Joseph Smith translation? Ask a Mormon missionary. And then that might open up these, you know, the points that we can make along these. One of the ways to share with them is, hey, why aren't you using the Joseph Smith translation? Because it's an embarrassment. A lot of Mormons don't even know about it. Mormon church knows it's an embarrassment. But it's interesting because it, it also reveals what he was really about. And uh, the Mormons that, you know, got in a fight with him or the, that he was warring with, with regard to burning their, wanted to burn their press down, the printing press, they were tired of him taking other men's wives, you know? He was polygamist, you know? Uh, now, it's interesting because in the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, if you had a King James translation, and some of you do, you'll notice that there's words that are italicized. That's not just the King James. A lot of translations will italicize words that are added. These are words that are added to fill out a sentence. Otherwise, you know, you'd have choppy sentences, but they're not in the Hebrew language, so they're italicized to say, hey, this was interpolated by us, the translators, right? By the editors. Well, guess what Joseph Smith did? When he wrote Isaiah 14, copying from, Mosiah 14, from copying from Isaiah 53, he copied in all the italicized words, not realizing that they would not be in golden plates. Just in, just in 1611, and actually it was a, not in the 1611, it was a later edition of the King James Version, and he's writing, it's proved, it shows you beyond a shout out, this guy was not getting these things from golden plates. We knew that already, amen? But if a Mormon that loves truth is willing to investigate, they're gonna say, man, this already smelled fishy. It's already struggling with Joseph Smith a bit and his claims, but wow, this is just ridiculous. Now, in Galatians chapter 1, we have a strong warning because Paul is concerned that people were being deceived by Judaizers, as we call them in theology, 
who were coming into the church at Galatia, which Paul had built up and strengthened and established in the faith, and were teaching them that they had to keep the law of Moses to be saved, not just Jesus. They had to do certain works to be right with God, to be accepted by him and have his favor, that they weren't saved by grace through faith alone. Now, of course, Paul said faith without works is dead, amen? True faith expresses itself through love, as Paul says in Galatians 5, 6. But that's not what saves us, amen? We're saved by what Jesus Christ did on the cross, the free gift, amen? And the works follow as evidence of our salvation, the fruit of the Spirit, amen, in our hearts. Well, the Judaizers say, no, you have to be circumcised, you know? You have to keep the, the, the new moons and the, the, the Jewish calendar and so forth to be right with God. It was a lie, and Paul combats that. And Paul gives a strong warning. And he says in chapter 1 of Galatians, verse 6, if we, I mean, us apostles, any of us, or an angel from heaven preaches another gospel to you than that which we preached unto you, let him be accursed, anathematized. Greek word's anathema. One translation says, let him go to hell, you know. And he says, I say unto you, again, if, if, if anyone comes to preach another gospel than that which we preach to you, let him be accursed. That's verses 7, 8, 9. Verse 6 says, Paul says, I marvel that you're so quickly being removed from him who called you to the grace of Christ to another gospel, which is really not another. But if we or an angel preach another gospel to you than what you preach to you, let him be accursed. An angel from heaven. Angels from heaven, yeah. Fallen angels, that is. Because the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 that Satan disguised himself into an angel of light. Amen? Amen. These fallen angels hate God. They hate the fact that we could be saved. They want to blind us. The Bible says that Satan blinds the minds of those that believe not, lest the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ is shine on them. So they, they want to blind people to the true gospel of Jesus Christ. So he warns about another gospel. One thing I point out to Mormons when I'm sharing with them and the missionaries have come to my door, like I said, they haven't been there for a long time. They're what, it's gonna, probably tomorrow, so I'm gonna be knocking on my door. But guess what? You can, even on the Book of Mormon that they pass out, it says this. Now, Paul warned about another gospel, right? It says, Book of Mormon, another, another testament of Jesus Christ. And it's supposedly about how Jesus came to the Americas, you know. Well, he has other sheep, yeah. He came to the Jews first, the other sheep are the Gentiles, amen? Not the Americas, it's all Gentiles that'll, that'll, you know, that Jesus came to be a witness to as well. Now, it's interesting because in the Joseph Smith translation of the Bible, go to Romans chapter four, Romans chapter four. In our Bibles, what's this other gospel? Because what they'll say is that Christians do not have the fullness of the gospel. That the angel Gabriel appeared to Joseph Smith. So if you go by a Mormon temple, you'll see, not Gabriel, I'm sorry, the angel Moroni. I used to call him the angel Baloni, but I don't do that anymore because I don't want to speak against even bad angels. I don't want to give them names, okay? But I will call it the Joseph Smith. Uh, the, the Jehovah's Witnesses have their own translation. I call it the New World Abomination. And the Jews, Joseph Smith is a Joseph Smith abomination. I'll call that about their false Bible. But the angel Moroni, you'll see depictions of this angel as you pass these huge, expensive, elaborate Mormon temples. He'll be at the top blowing a trumpet. And he's associated with Revelation 14 when it says an angel will preach the everlasting gospel. Problem with that is in Revelation, the angel that preached the everlasting gospel is still in the future, okay? That's in Revelation chapter 14. The same time an angel says not to take the mark of the beast and Babylon has fallen, Amen. So they misappropriate and misinterpret and misapply all kinds of texts in the scripture. And since most people don't know their Bibles because they're not FBI agents full of biblical intelligence, they're easily deceived. And then they're taught these scriptures out of context. That's why you need to know your Bibles. Amen? Amen. You know? 
Praise God, Larry. Larry just went through. And Larry's not a guy that just reads real fast and just tries to get through the Bible. He like studies the word strong. And it's been just great seeing him and Julia grow in this last couple years, especially this last year, man. Larry's kind of hiding from me now. And, uh, <laughs> but he finished the Bible. And that's studying the Bible. I mean, we're, I can't tell you how many times we've talked and texts I got from him where he's just, just into the word, comparing scriptures and so forth. And to get through the Bible in that time, I want to challenge all of you to read through your Bible this year, okay? I'm a guy that studies constantly, but I'm still one of my resolutions is to make sure I don't just study constantly, but also just, just read straight through the scripture as well. You might even want to get a one-year Bible. That could help you, okay? Or a, bio, a Bible in chronological order because some of the books are, poetic books are together and minor prophets and you know, major prophets, that could help you as well. Know your Bible, amen. I want to challenge you, encourage you, pray about it, think about it at least. It's like, come on, man, you take time for other things. Read through the word of God, you'll be blessed. Larry, have you been blessed? Amen. Julia, have you been blessed? Amen, praise the Lord. And they've done that all by having the, you know, baby and all, everything. So anyway, uh, new baby, not so new anymore, I guess, but it's exciting. But it's interesting, Romans 4, 5. What's it say in Romans chapter 4, verse 5? This is a great verse where Paul says, but to the one who is, does not work, because he's saying we're not saved by our works, but to the one who does not work but believes, we're saved through faith, right? But believes in him who justifies who? The he justifies the wicked or he justifies the ungodly. His faith is credited as righteousness. Amen? So we believe we're saved by grace through faith and God justifies the ungodly because none of us are perfect. Amen? Well, listen now, here's a Joseph Smith translation. But to him that seeketh not to be justified by the law of works, but believeth on him who justifieth not the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Wow. He just threw the word not in there. It's not in any Greek manuscript because they believe in a form of works salvation. By the way, you can't get to the celestial kingdom, the highest kingdom, Unless you tithe for a year straight or so, then you get your temple recommend because you got to get your temple recommend and go through the temple ceremonies to get to the highest kingdom. So you got to kind of pay your way to heaven. And it's interesting. Uh, we read in the, in the Mormon book, the doctrines of salvation. Salvation is that which man merits or earns, which man merits through his own acts, through life, and by obedience to the laws and ordinances of the gospel. Nephi, which is in the Book of Mormon, chapter 25, verse 23 says, we know that it is by grace that we are saved after all we can do. You do everything you can, then God will save you by grace. Is that how that works? No. The publican, you know, tax gatherer, beat his chest. God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. And he left justified with God because God justifies the ungodly. Thank the Lord. Amen. Praise God. Brigham Young, their second most important prophet. Brigham Young University, Right? Brigham Young says, there is not a man or woman who violates the covenants made with their God that will not be required to pay the debt. The blood of Christ will never wipe that out. Your blood must atone for it. So they taught, Brigham Young taught, that you had to have your blood shed to atone for certain sins. Just like the Roman Catholic Church teaches the heresy that you have to burn in purgatory for your venial sins. The Mormon church, in fact, Brigham Young talks about in the, in the back of the building they're meeting at, he says, we have a place designated back there after service if you want us to go back there, if you want to have your blood shed. Okay, 
I mean, quite crazy. In fact, at the end of God Makers 2, the film we showed you, you should check that out. They're talking about blood atonement because there's true Mormons that truly follow Mormonism uh, that are shedding people's blood. And one lady's being interviewed and she's talking about how it's been happening in her community and so forth. And, and then at the end of the movie, you see a picture of her and it talks about how she was put to death, you know, at the end of the movie. Brigham Young says, and by the way, that's in Journal of Discourses, I'm not making this up, volume three, page 247, which I have. Brigham Young also states in Journal of Discourses, volume 13, page 264, I say now when they, he's talking about his dis, the discourses, Journal of Discourses, are copied and approved by, by me, they are as good as scripture as is couched in the Bible. Wow. He says, I've never preached a sermon and sent it out to the children of men that they may not call scripture. Let me have the privilege of correcting a sermon and it is as good as scripture as they deserve. I mean, your writings are as good as scripture. Give me a break, man. That's so egotistical, you know. Brigham Young says, this is interesting. He says in volume three, page 247, there's not a man or a woman who violates the covenants made with their God that will not be required to pay the debt. Okay, so he says the blood of Christ must be shed. Well, our Bible says in 1 John 1, 7, the true Bible, God's word. If we walk in the light as he's the light, we have fellowship one with another. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And verse 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful to us, forgive us our sins, and cleanse us of all unrighteousness, not some. Brigham Young indicates that uh, they did indeed practice blood atonement. He says, quote, there are sins that men commit to which they cannot receive forgiveness in this world or in that which is to come. It is true that the blood of the Son of, Son of God was shed for sins through the fall and those committed by men. Yet men can commit sins which can never be, that which can never remit. And he teaches, it actually teaches the journal discourses, I've read this to many, many people through the years, that Judas did not hang himself, that Judas was actually kicked to death by the other apostles after he betrayed Christ and his guts gushed out to, so he could atone for his sins. Well, the Bible doesn't say Jesus atoned for his sins. Jesus says it'd be better for him that he was never born. He went to his own place. He's called the son of perdition, the son of hell. He, Brigham Young writes in Journal Discourses, he says in, a chapter, in book four, page 220, I can refer to you plenty of instances where men have been righteously slain in order to atone for their sins. I've seen scores and hundreds of people of whom there would have been no chance in the last resurrection shall be if their lives had been taken and their blood spilled on the ground if it had not been and a smoking incense brought to the Almighty and so forth. Man. Listen to what Brigham Young says in Journal Discourses, volume three, page 347. Suppose you found your brother in bed with your wife and put a javelin through both of them. You would be justified and they would atone for their sins. So people could die in adultery and they'll still go to heaven as long as you kill them while they're doing it uh, and, be, and, be, and, be deceived, and be received in the kingdom of God. I would at once do such a, a case and under such circumstances, I have no wife whom I love so well that I would not put a javelin through her heart and I would do it with clean hands. So <laughs> I would lovely, I would love one of his wives, right? He's got a bunch of them, right? So, uh, and it's interesting because they teach that it's, the blood of Christ isn't enough. You need your works. You need your own blood. This is what true Mormonism taught. But also that you need Joseph Smith's consent. Now, Jesus says if we deny him, he'll deny us before the Father, right? If we confess him before men, he'll confess us before the Father and before the angels. But according to Mormonism, Jesus is not enough. His blood's not enough. He needs your works and your blood 
but also you need Joseph Smith's consent. Uh, we read in Journal of Discourses, Volume 9, page 312, Brigham Young says, And he that confesseth not that Jesus has come in the flesh and sent Joseph Smith with the fullness of the gospel in this generation is not of God, but is Antichrist. Talk about changing the scripture. You got to confess that Joseph Smith uh, was sent by Jesus. And uh, you also, uh, uh, Journal of Discourses, we read Brigham Young again, Volume 7, page 289. No man or woman in this dispensation will ever enter into the celestial kingdom of God without the consent of Joseph Smith. Now, Joseph Smith claims an angel came to him to reveal and give him the Book of Mormon, right? And it's interesting when you look at what he's saying there, because when you read the introduction of the Book of Mormon, there's something really interesting. I think it's just the devil's footprint, man. His fingerprint. Because when it's, it's all a denial of Christ. It's a denial of the true gospel. It's that the, the Christian gospel that's couched the Bible is not enough. It's been deficient. It's deficient. And the angel has to come and bring the true gospel through Joseph Smith. It's a denial of the true gospel. And after the third angel, the angel comes. The third time, I find it really interesting when you read the introduction. The Book of Mormon. Or you just read his testimony. Because think about it, brothers and sisters. What happened after Peter denied the Lord three times? The what happened? The cock crowed, right? The rooster crowed. Listen to the Book of Mormon. After this third visit, he, the angel, a third visit now, the third denial really, again ascended into heaven as before, and I was again left to ponder on the strangeness of what I had just experienced. When almost immediately after the heavenly messenger had ascended from me for the third time, the cock crowed. You can't make this stuff up. If you're a Mormon listener right now, we love you, man. But God is allowing you to see that this is a huge deception. Just read the introduction to the Book of Mormon. Read Joseph Smith's account of his, his testimony as to how he received the Book of Mormon. Third time, they, and then the cock crowed. I wonder if he was chuckling when he wrote that, laughing at those he was going to dupe. Or if he was laughing when he added his name into the book of Genesis and a whole prophecy about himself. But, but brothers and sisters, it's not funny, though. It's really sinister because it's just not him trying to make a buck or whatever. Those people might think that was his motive. No, there's a demonic spirit at work because it's a denial of the true gospel. It's not like they're claiming to have some twist, but it doesn't twist the gospel of who Jesus is, who the spirit is. It's a twist of who Jesus is, a twist of the gospel, a twist of salvation. There's demonic spirits working through it all. In fact, it's interesting. Listen to what the scriptures say. 2 Corinthians 11, 3 and 4. But I'm afraid that as a serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds, Paul says, we led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. For if one comes and preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or you receive a different spirit, which you have not received, or a different gospel, which you have not accepted, you bear with this beautifully. I'm, I'm concerned, I'm afraid that you're going to bear with this and go with this beautifully like it's acceptable. And then in verses 13 and following, it says, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, for even Satan disguised himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it's not surprising that his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. Wow. Now, it's crazy because think about it. As the serpent deceived Eve. How did the serpent deceive Eve? First thing he says, hath God said. Try to cast doubt on God's word. What does Mormonism do? Ah, the Bible's not complete without, it's been corrupted. And they do that because they don't want the authority of the Bible. They want the authority of the Mormon church. And the, Mormon, the book of Mormon is perfect though. And the Bible's got a lot of good things from God, but they've, you, we're filling the blanks and let you know what they really, really said. 
hath God said, oh, and you shall not surely die. Ooh, Mormons teach that pretty much everybody makes it. Right? Oh, through the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Wow, through the secret gnosis. It's really a good thing. Guess what? I have quotes from Mormon prophets and Mormon leaders that I didn't bring today because it's best to be way too long. One after another, which I've shown before, where they say that the fall was a good thing. It was a fall upward because we're realizing our divinity. You shall be as God, remember? And they teach that we are gods. It's the same spirit that was in Eden, guys. It's a satanic spirit, okay? And if you're watching this right now, we love you, man. But you have to see what's going on. May God open your eyes. He loves you. He wants you to know the true Jesus who died for you, who paid for your sins, who cares so much about you, that he gave his son so you could have eternal life. And he's having you listen right now so you'll come to the true Jesus. But will you come to the true Jesus? Does truth and eternal life matter more than what you'll look like in front of friends and family? Well, if you really love friends and family, man, you'll turn to the true Jesus so you can bring them to heaven too with the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Go to John chapter 1, verse 1. And then we're going to compare what John 1, 1 says with the Joseph Smith translation. You talk about butchering a verse. Now, why would he change John 1, 1? Because John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word what? God. Was God. Because Joseph Smith in the Mormon church teaches that Jesus is not the one true God. That he's one of many gods. So it's interesting. When I look at the, the text, and I count the words in Greek today. You can count them in English, but you go to the Greek text. It's written in Greek. It's N-R-K-N-H-O-L-A-G-A-S-K-A-L-A-G-A-S. N-P-R-A-S-T-A-N. N-P-R-A-S-T-A-N-H-O-L-A-G-A-S. Lagos is word, Greek word for word. Uh, Theos and Theon, the words for God. And it's very clear. It's only 17 words in Greek. 17 words. Joseph Smith got a hold of this and said, well, really, it said this. And he made it 35 words long, over doubled. And before you know it, the word is no longer Jesus. And Jesus is no longer God when he gets done with it. Listen to the Joseph Smith translation. In the beginning was the gospel preached through the Son. And the gospel was the word. And the word was with the son, and the son was with God, and the son was of God. So no longer is Jesus the word, and no longer is he God. The gospel is the word, and Jesus was just of God. I'm sorry, I get kind of angry too when I see this kind of stuff. You're twisting the words of my Lord God, and you're deceiving people, including my brothers and sisters in Christ who need the true Jesus, Amen. This is an abomination. That's why I call this the new or the Joseph Smith abomination, this so-called translation. And that's why I'm saying it's not just a guy trying to make money. That'd be bad enough. Be a false prophet then too. But it's a spirit behind him that's, that's preaching a different Jesus. Amen? A different spirit. A spirit that testifies of a false gospel and a different gospel, which is a gospel of works rather than a pure grace by grace through faith. Are you with me tonight? Oh, by the way, and you look at John 1, 14, the word becomes flesh and dwells among us. Makes no sense if the gospel is the word. The gospel became flesh. Oh, and by the way, John, well, John chapter 1, go to verse, uh, go to verse 16. John 1, 16. What does it say? Right, grace upon grace, right? 
So verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we saw his glory. The glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified about him and cried out saying, this was he who, whom I said, he who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me, right? So who's he talking about? Not the gospel, he's talking about Jesus, amen? amen? Right? For of his fullness we have all received and grace upon grace, right? For law was given through Moses, but grace and truth was realized through Jesus Christ. Amen? No one has seen God at any time, the only begotten God, who is in the bosom of the Father. He has explained him. Amen? So Jesus is the Word. Now, so you have a different Jesus. Amen? And that's what 2 Corinthians warns of an angel preaching a different Jesus. There's a different Jesus. He's not the one true God. We have a different gospel. It's by works. You have a different spirit that testifies of Mormonism. You know what? The Mormon leaders, the foremost of the Mormon leaders, realized they were working, at least some of them admitted it, at least Brigham Young did, with evil spirits. It's a different spirit. Listen to what Brigham Young says. In fact, I was dealing with a professing Christian whose walk wasn't really strong and was being seduced by Mormonism. And I sat with that person for about an hour, and I read a bunch of quotes what Brigham Young said. And she was glossy-eyed. She couldn't believe it. And I'm just going to give you a couple of those quotes of what Brigham Young said in Journal of Discourse. Because I had Journal of Discourse. I whipped him out. And he basically talks about how demon spirits help preach Mormonism around the world and help him preach Mormonism. It's just mind-boggling. In Journal of Discourse, Volume 3, page 369, you know that we sometimes need a prompter, Brigham Young says, well, these evil spirits are ready to prompt you. Do they prompt us? Yes. And I could put my hands on a dozen of them while I have been on the stand. They are here on the stand. Could we do without the devils? No, we could not get along without them. They are here and they suggest this, that, and the other. Man, if I thought there was a demon up here with me, I'd be like, in the name of Jesus, get with me. You know? In fact, Brigham Young says, no doubt, uh, well, Listen to what he says. Volume 7, page 240. Are there any communications from evil spirits? Yes, the devil is making the people believe very strongly in revelations from the spirit world. This is called spiritualism. And it is said that the thousands of spirits declare that Mormonism is true. Wow. Not only are the demonic spirits said to be leading people to Mormonism, listen to this. Quote, many of you know you cannot get your endowment without the devils being present. Indeed, we cannot make rapid progress without the devils. I know that it frightens the righteous sectarian, speaking of the Christians, uh, world to think that we have so many devils with us, we could not prosper without them. Journal Discourses, Volume 3, page 50, Brigham Young. If you're a Mormon listening right now, man, right now you should get on your knees and say, God, have mercy, I've been deceived. Thank you for showing me this. This is Brigham Young. Wow. It's, it's amazing, a different gospel, different Jesus, different spirit. Now, uh, there's been a ton of false prophecies. I mentioned the one in Genesis 50 that's not in Genesis 50, but that Joseph Smith stuck in there about himself saying that they would try to destroy him, but they'd be confounded when they actually destroyed him and he couldn't finish his Joseph Smith translation. Uh, but he also predicted in 1935 not long after the Mormon church started, quote, the coming of the Lord, which is nigh, even 56 years should wind up the scene. 
That's history of the church, which I have, volume two. I didn't buy the whole history of the church. I didn't have that much money back then, so I bought volume two. <laughs> and page 182 is a prophecy that he should come in 56 years, should wind up the scene. You should know that's a false prophecy because guess what? Israel wasn't in a country then, right? And Paul said, don't be deceived. Concerning Christ's coming, he says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses, verse 1, concerning Christ's coming and our being gathered together to him, the rapture, he says, don't let me deceive you by any means, by a demon, a pneuma, a, a demon spirit, by word as from us, or I'm sorry, or prophecy or word, or letter as from us, as though the day of the Lord has come or has come to be at hand. And then he says, let no one deceive you by any means. That day will not come except two things happen first. The falling away happens first, and what? And the revealing the Antichrist in the temple, showing himself that he is God. Those events would happen first. By the way, the Jehovah's Witnesses said that Jesus came back in 1914. No temple was built yet, and then either, right? Israel was in the country then, and the Antichrist hadn't come yet. So we know that's a false system, but Joseph Smith gave this prophecy, and by the way, it never came to pass. The Lord still hasn't come, and we're at 2023 in just a few days. Amen? He made, so many, he made other false prophecies uh, that I don't have time to get into uh, about the building of a temple in a certain place. And the Mormons kept saying it's going to happen because Joseph Smith said it would happen. And he said it's going to happen. They kept saying it's going to happen. It, this generation, and they started saying the people, there's still some people alive. It's been 103 years, the prophet of the Mormon church said. And so it's got to happen still. So there's got to be some people still alive. Oh, a couple decades later, the Mormon prophet said, Joseph Fielding uh, Smith said, new prophet. Uh, he said, well, it never happened like Joseph Smith said it would. It's false prophecy, okay? Now, it's interesting. Joseph Smith claimed, quote, the inhabitants of the moon are more of the uniform size than the inhabitants of the earth. Being six feet in height, they dress very much like Quaker style and are quite general in style or fashion or dress. They live to be about very old, coming in generally about 1,000 years old. Do you know that there's moon men that live about 1,000 years old, dressed like Quakers up there, about six feet tall? That's what Joseph Smith taught. He had this special revelation because they taught that these planets become celestialized and, we, and Mormons become gods and they rule over their own planets. And so, well, Brigham Young, after mentioning what Joseph Smith said about the people that live on the moon, he talked about the people that live on the sun. He said, so it's with regard to the inhabitants of the sun. Do you think it's inhabited? I rather think it is. Do you think uh, there's any life on it? No question of it. It was not made in vain. It was made to give light to those who dwell upon it and no other planets and to other planets. And uh, so will this earth, when it is, be this earth, when it's celestialized, every planet is uh, in its first root organic state, receives the glory and it goes on and on and on. So it's people on the sun and so forth. Uh, and by the way, uh, the temple, that was, in, that was made in 1832, and that was basically the prophecy that he made that, uh, in, in Independence, Missouri, in Doctrine and Covenants, section 84, which was in one of their major books, uh, that this temple would be built, which I don't have time to get into. But uh, Joseph Fielding Smith, though, answers to Gospel Questions, volume 4, page 112, admits that it never got fulfilled over 100 years later, and it still hasn't been built, by the way. Okay, we're talking about 200 years later now. Now, what if I went around telling you guys that I'm, be I was, I'm better than Jesus? I'd be better at holding the church together than Jesus. It would be your last time here, I hope, right? Or at least come and pray for me, please, and say, Joe, I don't know what happened to you, you know? But that's the furthest thing. I, I can't even think even at anything like that. It's like ridiculous, okay? That's, but guess what Joseph Smith said? 
he said the whole church fell away and had to be restored through him because he's the prophet that restores the church. And by the way, that's how you get authority over people. The Bible is corrupted. The abominations of other churches, the, the creeds are abomination. And everybody fell away. And the church is now being restored through Mormonism. And I'm the prophet. But guess what? He had to diminish. They dimin the cults, they typically diminish Jesus. That's why almost every cult teaches that Jesus is not God. Almost to a T. I wrote a track years and years ago that we used to pass out on Hollywood Island, or uh, Highland there in Hollywood in Sunset. And uh, we passed out probably thousands of those tracks called Who Do Men Say That I Am? And the first 20 things are little blips from about 20 different cults or so of saying who Jesus is. It's less than, less than God. Then we go into how he's the great I am. You know, a lot of cults in Hollywood and so forth. So we pass out a lot of those tracks and people in the new aging, all kinds of weird stuff. But Joseph Smith, listen to his boast. He made this boast uh, about how he was the only one to really hold the church together. He says, come on, you, you, you prosecutors, you false swearers, all hell boil over, you burning mountains, roll down your lava, for I will come out on top at last. I have more to boast of than any man had. I am the only man that has ever been able to keep the whole church together since the days of Adam. A large majority of the whole have stood by me. Neither Paul, John, Peter, nor Jesus ever did it. I boast that no man ever did such a work as I. The followers of Jesus ran away from him, but the Latter-day Saints never ran away from me yet. Uh, when they can get rid of me, the devil will also go. That's in History of the Church. Mormon History of the Church, volume six, page 408, okay? That's in their own history of the church, guys. They don't deny he said that. Oh, well, we all have faults. Ah, what? <laughs> that's not just a fault. That's an attitude. That's a, that shows his heart. That's wicked, man. And by the way, it's a lie to say that the whole church fell away. Amen? The church did not need to be restored through Joseph Smith because the church never the whole church never fell away. God's always had a remnant. Remember way back before the church even came into existence when Elijah and Paul quotes this in Romans, how he thought he was the only one left. You know, everybody's forsaken you. And the Lord said to him, there's 7,000 men who have not bowed their knees to Baal. Amen? And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, 18, I will build my church and what? The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Amen? In Ephesians chapter 3, verses 19 and 20, Paul says, To him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you dream or think, and to glory in the church throughout all generations. Woo! And Jude chapter 1, verse 3 says, Earnestly contend for the faith which was once for all, handed down to the saints. Once for all time. Once. Not given again through Joseph Smith later. In fact, when you look at the scriptures that deal with falling away and apostasy, they don't deal with a whole everybody falling away. Yeah, 1 Timothy 4.1. Paul says, says explicitly, the Spirit says explicitly that in latter days, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons, which is kind of a trip because that verse actually refers to groups like Mormonism, which have led people astray from the true faith. And, in the, and now they'll use, when Jesus said, many will fall away. He didn't say, he said many, okay? He didn't say there wouldn't be any left. He said many will fall away. And by the way, that's in the tribulation period, Matthew chapter 24. They'll deliver you to be killed. There'll be great tribulation. Many will fall away. Oh, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul says there'll be a falling away. Yeah, it says there'll be a falling away, and the Antichrist will be revealed, and then Christ will come back. 
That's at the end. That's just, Paul is explicating what Jesus said in 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5 and 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and 2. He's talking about Jesus coming back. He's talking about the trumpet. He's talking about the thief in the night. He's talking about all the things that Jesus talked about in those passages, which is after the tribulation period. So you have all these deceptions going on that are really, really amazing when you think about it. And it's interesting because when you look at what's going on here, this angel, these demons, these are demonic entities. And we're talking about a false revival here. In fact, you know, Joseph Smith, we have his journals. In fact, a historian that works at BYU, Brigham Young University, a Mormon. He got a hold of the journals of so many of Brigham or Joseph Smith's wives. And it's out. You could buy it. And one of his wives talks about how she was in love when she was a young girl. And he would send in the book, he says he would send, he wanted to marry a young girl. The parents wouldn't want it or the big brother wouldn't want it. Or they'd be like, wait, that's a you know, 50-some-year-old guy or whatever. And then guess what? He'd send, their parents, he'd send the, the, the sons away to missions. And then he'd tell the parents, if you let me have your daughter, you'll get, a, you'll get right to the celestial kingdom, man. You don't have to go through everything. Okay, marry, yeah, you can marry her, Joseph. Well, one gal didn't want to marry him. No, I'm in love with this guy. And she, he got upset with her. She refused because she was really in love with this guy. She wanted this old man. And then guess what? They get married. Then Joseph Smith comes to her and says, you need to leave him and marry me. What? She goes, yeah. An angel appeared to me, Joseph Smith said. A terrifying angel with a huge sword and said he's going to kill me if you don't marry me. She leaves her husband and marries him. This is a scammer, guys. These are liars, okay? Crazy when you think about it. Wow. What's interesting is Thomas Marsh, he was a former apostle, one of the 12 supposed apostles of the Mormon church. He states that Joseph Smith said that he was the new Muhammad, which is kind of interesting because he is like the Muhammad of the West. And I think Satan really scored through Islam in the 6th, 7th century, right, after Jesus. And it's worked so good. He's saying, why don't I try that again over here in the United States? And that's exactly what he did pretty much because the parallels, and I, and I wrote these parallels off the top of my head because I didn't want to, I thought I'm not going to study it more. I've said it more. I'm just going to go off the top of my head because it's so obvious, uh, the parallels between Muhammad and Joseph Smith. Muhammad claims that Gabriel came to him. Joseph Smith said it was Moroni that came to him. They both claimed to have new revelations. They both said the Bible was inadequate. They both claimed they had the fullness of the gospels. They both had false prophecies. They both exalted themselves over Jesus. Uh, they both... Uh, <laughs> They both, well, Muhammad had 11 wives. Muslims are only going to have four, but he had 11. Joseph Smith had about 34 wives, okay? Uh, uh, Muhammad married a little girl named Aisha and, uh, when she was just, you know, six years old. And uh, Joseph Smith bedded 14-year-old girls, okay, as a 38-year-old man who had no business being in bed with a 14-year-old child, okay? Uh, and I call, I said 50-something, but he's an old man, 38, 14, yeah, he's an old guy, okay? So the Bible does, I have to admit, I do have to make an admission. There is a prophecy about Joseph Smith in the Bible. It's in Matthew 24, 24. Jesus says, false Christ and false prophets will arise showing great signs and wonders, a deceiving, if possible, even the very elect of God. Behold, I've warned you in advance. And Jesus says, many false prophets would come and deceive many in Matthew 24, amen? You've been warned, amen? I'm looking at the clock, it says 8.30. But I think we've had plenty of food tonight, amen? If you leave here and become a Mormon, it's going to be hard to feel sorry for you. 
because you should know that it is a satanic false system. If you've come, if you, if you are a Mormon, we do love you dearly because guess what? We all came out of stuff. Every one of us, you've got to be humble yourself. The Bible says God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. And if you refuse to humble yourself and you say, no, I don't want to be wrong or, you know, or you have the fear of men, the Bible, Jesus says, don't fear man who could destroy your body, but fear God who could destroy your body and soul in hell. You need to fear God. You need to humble yourself and say, God, have mercy on me. And he wants to save you. And he also wants to use you. He wants to use you to reach Mormons, he, perhaps. He wants to use you to reach other lost people, for sure. But know this. If you're involved in Mormonism, he loves you as much as he loves anybody else. The Bible says God is not partial. He doesn't will that any would perish. That means you. And that's why he's allowed you to tune in uh, to this, this teaching today. Know for a fact that Jesus said, I'll build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Go with Jesus over Joseph Smith. Go with Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. And no one comes to the Father but through him. And once you start just diving into your Bible, you'll say, wow, this is the word of God. The only corruption that's come is by the cults and the false prophets that Jesus said would come later. God's word is pure from Genesis 1-1 to the book of Revelation. And we love you. We just hope you embrace Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And brothers and sisters, I love you guys. And I know these folks are knocking your door. It's so funny when Brian just confirmed it, when he heard me mentioning the name of the message to Jonathan back there. John, he goes, they just came to my door right before you, I came here. So yeah, they're going to come to your door too. You should have some answers, amen? amen? This might be a message that you hear again. You take down some notes if you didn't take some right now. Amen? Praise God. I love you guys so much. Glad this side filled out like this side a bit. Still lagging a little behind, but you guys are just as awesome because God is impartial. Amen. Father God, we love you. We praise you. We worship you. We exalt you. We honor you. You are so good.